morning. Good morning. It is good to be here in the house and worshiping with you. I know we are small in number, uh, but after last week and canceling church and everything, I kind of figured be a little slower getting back, plus there's uh, a lot of things going on that we want to make sure that we lift up in prayer. Uh, we've, had, we've had deaths. We're thinking of the Fickner families with the loss of a, a grandmother and a grandson in the same day. I mean, um, I, don't even know how you, I don't even know how you process that, right? Uh, Jody Tackett's Grandpa passed away last night, um, so the Tackets are not going to be here today, and um, we're, we're still remembering the people that have passed recently, Nancy Resenda's husband, uh, and we want to we wanna lift uh, them up. A lot of things going on, but I tell you what, man, I, I am just so glad to still be here today. After, after the week that I had, and I know a lot of people were... We're uh, right along there with me. Um, but I tell you what, man, I, I really felt everybody's prayers. And I really appreciate you all lifting me up and the other people in our church and just being the body to those people who are struggling. So I, I cannot tell you how, how much I appreciate that and how encouraged I am just to be fellowshipping. And I cannot wait to praise and worship our Lord and Savior here with our lips, you know. And it's not going to be just with our lips. But that's, that's a, an amazing time. So I can't wait to worship with you today, and, and it's good to, to see you all. Today is Volunteer uh, Appreciation Sunday. Today is the day that we recognize all the people that volunteer and do things in our church. And Dawn, uh, big thank you. She came up with this list that is in your bulletin. Hopefully we didn't miss anybody, right? That's, that's the fear that we have. That's the fear that, oh my gosh, we miss somebody and what they do. Please give us some grace if that's you. But, oh man, um, looking through that list, I told you that when you, when you uh, called me, I said, listen, unless you guys are willing to, to step up and to work and, and be a part of this church, it's not going to work out having a part-time pastor unless you're willing to do that. And you do that in, in huge ways. So um, I just wanted to say a huge thank you to everybody that does it. Every time that we need something, we send a message out, and it's provided, right? Anytime anybody's hurting in our church, we send a message out, the meals are there, the, the texts are there, the prayers are there. That's one of the most important things that we can do is just pray for each other and everything that's going on. But beyond that, you, you step out and you help out as teachers. You step out and you help out by driving the van, by doing uh, praise and worship, right? Every week, the sound team, you know, you struggle through figuring out how to get everything done and everything broadcasted to the people that are watching online. And we know, that to the people watching online, we know that you're a part of this church as well. You're lifting us up in prayer. You're here all the time too as well and helping out in every way that you can. So can I just uh, say a very deep, heartfelt thank you to you, all right? Thank you so much for all you do for all you sacrifice, keep that up, right? Because that's what it means to be a body of church. We, we don't come to church. We don't just come to sit here in these seats. We come to be a part of something. We are, we are a family, right? A family that is on mission. 
There are people that need to know Christ. And that's what we're called to. And we've seen people come to know Christ. We've seen people baptized, right? I see people growing in their faith. And that's what it's about, right? That's what it's about. And we want to give Jesus Christ all the praise and glory. And I know that there are times where you may feel beat down and discouraged. But I want to encourage you just by saying thank you. Thank you for all that you do, all right? Thank you, thank you. So afterwards, don't run out of here. Edivy and I are going to be trying to hit you up before. we got a small gift for you, and um, can't wait to just say thank you and give you that gift, all right? All right, would you, would you stand with me? In your bulletin, there's some things. Make sure you read those. I'm not going to go through those. Make sure you read those and check those out. But I just want to pray. Father, I just thank you for today. Lord, I thank you for the ability to be here. Thank you for the ability to worship you, to have that freedom. Lord, I pray that you would help us to be good stewards of that freedom, that you would help us to share that good news to everyone that we come into count, contact with. Give us opportunities, Lord, to tell people of your wondrous love, for your self-sacrificing love. Father, help us to be messengers to a world that, that doesn't know that, to the world that is in darkness, to a world that may know that but forgotten needs to be reminded Lord, give us those opportunities to share the good news, to love on people, to care for people like you did, Father. Father, we give you all praise and honor. In your name we pray, amen.
turning your Bibles to 2 Timothy. We're changing it up a little bit today. I want to go in a little bit different direction than what I had planned. 2 Timothy. Can I reiterate how important and how, I don't know if you guys, if you just feel the weight in here today. I don't know if it, the lights seem darker today, the, the, the weather's darker, rainier, um, and there's just a heaviness Man, there's just a heaviness over me. I don't know. Today, something's going on really weird, but um, I am grateful for my church family, and I pray, that, uh, I pray that you take these prayer requests home, and you pray for them, and you lift up our brothers and sisters who are going through some heavy things right now and, and lift them up. All right. Uh, quick announcement, too, before we get into this. Wednesday, we are back to normal, so uh, everything goes back to normal this coming Wednesday, and from here on out. Hopefully, praise God, right? Yeah. 
All right, so make sure you come out. Uh, adults meet in here so we can space out a little bit, and then we'll have teens and, and kids, and, and uh, love to see them. All right, 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy. How many of you are, uh, how many of you started school and you were on the younger side? Like when you started school, you were in the younger, younger ones. All right, how many of you were the older ones? And some of you guys are just in the middle. You don't even know. Like, if you weren't younger than you weren't older, yeah, you're, in, you're good to go. You know, there's some advantages and disadvantages. I started school on the younger side. I think I've told you this before. Early on, I found myself behind. Uh, I remember the first time I got taken out of class, I could not tie my shoe. And so the teacher took me out of class and yelled at me out in the hallway and shamed me, and I knew right then and there, man, I did not like school, and uh, I did not like, I, I just knew that I was not the best student early on. So uh, I don't think I ever did well into school up until about fifth grade. Fifth grade, everything changed for me. I had this one teacher named Ray Burglis. If I could find this guy, I would love, I've searched for him on Facebook, and I've tried to find him. I hope he's still living, but this teacher named Ray Burglis, he had this thing that he did where every quarter, if you got a perfect grade on a test, he would take you out to Showbiz Pizza. Showbiz Pizza in Chicago uh, or in, in the suburbs of Chicago was kind of like a, a Chuck E. Cheese. So he would take out all the kids who that quarter got a perfect score to this, this place like Chuck E. Cheese. I had never tried so hard in my life to get an A. Right, So I was studying, and I think he saw that, and he actually began to tutor me after school. He would stay after me and two other kids. He would help us out. He would drive us home, and he would actually stop on the way home, and we'd, we'd stop at 7-Eleven. It was great, and we'd get these Slurpees, and he'd purchase that for me, and it just made the biggest difference in my life. I remember getting that perfect score that quarter, and it was like the most amazing moment. I, I you know, marked the calendar for when we were supposed to go to, to, to Chucky, to uh, pizza, I'm sorry, Showbiz Pizza. And uh, I remember that night going to the school, and here's a busload of kids that were going that had all done this. And as we got on that bus, he handed us all a roll of quarters to spend there. I mean, this is back in the 80s, all right? And... Um, uh, just an amazing investment that this man did for all those kids, and it blew my mind, and I never forgot, uh, obviously, this, this man. Um, here's a guy that sacrificed a considerable amount, right, every quarter for these kids, and I'm sure our class was not the only class that he did that for, not, not to mention the time to take those kids to the, to the place and to spend it with them um, I went from bottom of the class to probably top of the class that year because of the investment that this guy made. And I wondered why, right? Why did he do that? It's just, just the person that he was. And um, I think we have another example of that in the Bible, and that's what we're going to look at today. Today I want to look at somebody that took the time to mentor another young person, and his name was Paul. Like I said, we're going to be in 2 Timothy today. Um, this letter is believed to be the last letter written by Paul. 
before he would be executed. He's in prison, and I think it's interesting and says a lot that Paul chose to write this young man last. If you read these letters and you'll see Paul mentoring Timothy and Paul's going to communicate a message to Timothy that I think we all need to hear. And that that message that I hope rings loud in your ears today is that you were made for something more. That's his message to Timothy, that he was made for something more. And you as a follower of Christ, you were made for something more. And that's an amazing gift to us that we can share with other people. So 2 Timothy, beginning at verse 2, as you're turning there, finally turning there, uh, let me give you some context. The Greek and Roman cultures were the major influences of this day. The Greeks and Romans loved gymnasiums. Those are athletic arenas, and, and they were focused in on bo- the body. They were focused in on working out. They were focused in on not just the body, but also philosophy. They had a lot to, to look at and to think about. They also loved the arts, though. They loved the arts, and they started to build these massive theaters. Timothy lived in Ephesus, where there was a a theater that sat 25,000 people day in and day out. Actors would go up on the stage, and they would carry a bag. They would carry a bag with them, and these, these actors were known as hypocrites. Hypocrites. Of course, that's where we get the word hypocrite. To be a a hypocrite was to be an actor because an actor had to be a different character. An an actor had to be a different person than who they really were. So this word hypocrite literally means to sift or decide under the mask. They had to decide who they were under the mask. And so on stage, there might be two hypocrites, two actors. They'd have a bag filled with all sorts of different masks that looked like different things, maybe a sad mask, a happy mask. And they would pull these masks out of the bag, and they would put it on their face. And they would have to decide underneath that mask what their tone was going to be, right? What kind of character they were going to be, who they were going to pretend to be. Now, Jesus saw this, and and Jesus got to see this culture, and he saw something similar happening, though, with religious people. He knew that some claimed to be followers of God, but it was just an act. There were people wearing a mask and pretending. These people were more interested in what other people thought of them, right? as opposed to what God thought. They were, they were interested in how they appeared to other people. That's why you have in, in Matthew 6, 5, Jesus says, And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, the, the actors, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. Right? They wanted the applause of men. They wanted people to think, man, look how religious I am. Look what a good person I am. Listen to how I, how I pray. I remember two weeks ago, somebody praying for us, and they were like, 
I asked them to pray, and they're like, if you like simple prayers, yeah, I'll, I'll pray for you. Yeah, that's exactly what we like, right? Simple, true, heartfelt prayers. We don't want the fake stuff. Matthew 6.16, when you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites, the actors do, for they disfigure their faces to show others they are fasting. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. Why do we do what we do for Christ? Is it to, to look a certain way, to gather attention from man, or are we doing it to to please God. 17 times in the Gospels, Jesus gives this command. Do not be an actor. Do not be a hypocrite. Do not be someone who carries a bag full of faces, right, and pulls out a mask to wear. Do not be someone who is trying to get the attention of the people around them. You see, our jobs as followers of Christ is to point people to him. We're not interested in people looking at us and being pointed to us. Instead, we want, to see, we want them to see God working through us. They want, we want them to recognize God's power through us. We point people to Jesus Christ. Amen? What's interesting is that the Roman and Greek cultures were a little bit nervous about actors. They were a little nervous about these people that were constantly pretending to be someone else. They would tell the actors, they would tell the hypocrites to not be the same character too long because they were worried that they would actually become that person. If you study acting, you know there's something called method acting. Robert De Niro is a, is a method actor. He becomes the character that he's going to play for a taxi driver, Robert De Niro actually worked as a taxi driver, pulling 12-hour shifts in New York. I can imagine what that would be like. For Raging Bull, he actually trained as a boxer, and he fought in three boxing matches, three genuine boxing matches, in order to know what that person was like so that he could play that. He became that person. If, if you're like me, you like the Christian Bale Batman series. Heath Ledger was a, a method actor. In The Dark Knight, he became the Joker. And there are stories that have been told about how it was so difficult for him to kind of separate in his mind and in his soul that part that he was playing, that character that he had become. What happens when we live under the mask? It does something to us. And Jesus is saying, don't do that. Don't be that kind of person. Stop faking it. Sometimes we do that in church. We put the mask on, right? We pretend to be someone that we're not. We pretend to have it all together. We pretend not to have any problems. But Jesus is saying, stop. Don't be the hypocrite, right? This should be the place that we don't have to worry about being the hypocrites. Well, back to Paul and Timothy, 2 Timothy 1-2. To Timothy, 
my dear son. And I love that it starts out that way. And I just want to stop there for a minute, right? To Timothy, my dear son. We don't know that much about Timothy's father, except for he was a Greek. Many scholars believe that Timothy's dad just kind of bailed on him early in Timothy's life. We also know that Timothy's mother was Jewish. Because of that, because of being Greek and not being circumcised, Timothy wouldn't have been able to enter the synagogue. He wouldn't have been able to come in there. He would not have been accepted. He would have been excluded. The Jews thought that he was a Greek Gentiles. And the Greeks wouldn't receive them because he had a Jewish mother. And so he was just kind of left in the middle. Those are the things that Timothy had to deal with. Some of you may be able to relate to that. You know what it's like to have a parent or a family member maybe that, that bailed on you early on. Or maybe you know the pain of not being accepted because of race or status or some other issue. The identity crisis of who am I? Why am I here? What's my place? What should I do on this planet? Tough things to deal with. And I love that the first thing Paul says to Timothy is to Timothy, my dear son, right? You can sense how close they were to each other. Others may have not accepted Timothy, right? Others may have not accepted him in the church, but here's an apostle. Here's the apostle to the Gentiles, one of the most influential leaders in the Christian church, and he accepts him as his son. And then he says, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father in Christ Jesus our Lord. I wish I, I, I wish I, I wish we had a better understanding of this phrase right here. A preacher I heard said that grace is God's gift to the worthless. Mercy, God's ministry to the helpless. And peace, God's love for the restless. In every other letter that Paul writes, he usually only begins with grace and peace. <clears throat> but to Timothy, a dear son, he's saying, I need to, you to know that grace and mercy and peace are for you. To a kid that's confused. To a kid that doesn't feel like he belongs. Grace and mercy and peace are for you. Paul continues, verse 3, I thank God whom I've served as my ancestors did with a clear conscience as night and day I constantly remember you in my prayers. Man, I got, a, I got this during COVID because you guys were like blowing my phone up left and right with messages day and night. Some people were messaging me a little too late, all right? But... I still appreciated it. Some people a little too early, Kevin. Kevin gets up at like 2 a.m. messaging me. <clears throat> but isn't that cool? I constantly remember you in my prayers. Man, I had a lot of time to pray for you all and what I knew that you were going through. And if I didn't know you were going through something, I just prayed in general, right? What a privilege. What, a, what an honor. I think of you often, Timothy. 
recalling your tears. I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives in you also. I am reminded of your sincere faith. My friends, growing up, teens, my faith was my mom's. My faith was not my own until it became my own. And I pray that you make that decision right now. Your parents' faith is not your own. You need your own authentic, sincere faith. That's what Paul sees right here. And first question, you know, I ask myself as I'm reading this, is, is, is my faith sincere? Is it real? Is it something that I can lean on, that, something that I, can, that I can depend on, no matter what in life is, is going on? And that's a question that we should all really ask ourselves. Is your faith sincere? Is it real? Is it really there? Or are you just coming to this building pretending to have that sincere faith? If that's you, take off the mask, right? Talk to somebody. Search it out. Search it out. That's what became a a sincere faith in my life was when I really started to question and to look at it and to pray about it and search God out and, and God met me. And it became more real. Is our faith sincere? The word sincere is powerful. It's from the Greek, and it means anupokritos, and literally means not a hypocrite. Not a hypocrite. To be sincere means you've dropped the mask. You're not playing the, the game that the world has taught us, that the church has taught us, which is to carry around a big bag of masks and to put on the appropriate mask at the appropriate time. There is pressure in every meeting, every time we sit together at a dinner table, every conversation we have with a neighbor, with a family member, with a friend to take out a mask from that bag and to put it on, right? And hide who we really are. Man, I've got to have it all together. What will somebody think if I don't? I think there are four general masks that people put on regularly, and I'm going to tell you I put on every one of these masks. The first one is the mask of a a performer. If you wear this mask, your identity is in your achievements and in your successes. That is who you are. You love to switch and you love to flip the switch and beyond. You love the idea of people looking at you and you build your identity off of that. You build your identity of what people think about you. So you have to perform. You have to always perform and perform well. I think of Tom Brady, right? The goat always has a chip on his shoulder, always listening to what everyone else says about him for a bulletin board material to, to use that to motivate him, to drive him, what everybody else thinks. Never, ever satisfied, right? He's never, ever satisfied. He has seven championships. They asked him, which is your favorite Super Bowl ring? And he said, it's the next one. The next one. He's not satisfied with where he's at. We all admire Tom and what he's accomplished, but I wonder what will happen when his football career is over. 
what will he turn to you? Many of us wear the mask of performance. Don't get me wrong, I'm not saying it's bad to be competitive. That, that's not a bad thing. But when your identity is solely on that, your performance, then it's an obvious problem. I remember they had a problem with the, the new quarterback, Trevor Lawrence, <clears throat> because he said football was not everything to him. And there were so many commentators in the sports world making a huge issue of that. Uh, if you're not 100% in it, if you're not 100% a quarterback, then maybe you won't be successful. And they, they questioned him on that. I thought it was actually healthy, right? I thought it was encouraging to hear a quarterback who did not get his identity from being a quarterback, but from something else. What about faith-wise? If you wear the mask of performance, then you describe your, your faith and performance-oriented terms. I am what I've done. I am what I've created. Look how many people come to my ministry. This, this can be a pastor who judges everything by numbers. It may prevent a pastor from giving a tough message because they're afraid it might turn people off, right? Or they're worried that people will say or they're worried that somebody will be offended. It was never about the numbers, though. Anytime that people or the big crowd started to follow Jesus Christ, he gave them a tough message and turned people away. A lot of people turned away. It's about the truth, right? It's finding your identity in Christ. Paul's writing to Timothy and saying, please don't have your faith centered on performance. Mass number two, pleaser. Oh, you're so good. I mean, you just help everyone People who wear this mask are just trying to please, 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 and they're fixated on solving everyone's problems. This does not sound bad, right? The problem comes because they, they feel that responsibility to take care of everyone else, though, at the expense of themselves, at the expense of their own soul. Think of Mary and Martha. Martha's trying to please everyone, and it comes at the expense of not spending time at the feet of Jesus Christ. You know you should spend more time with God, but you have to please everyone, and you don't have time. You have to be the perfect parent. You have to throw the perfect parties. Man, you, you see our, our kids going to different parties, and they're amazing, some of the ones that are, that are put on. Sometimes we just try to please everyone. Maybe you're, let me give you an example, maybe you're called to speak some truth to someone, but you won't tell them that because you're afraid of what they'll think or they might reject you, so you don't say anything because you want to please them. We've got to be careful with that. Paul says to Timothy, don't, don't put on that mask, right? Don't put on a people-pleasing Mass, drop that, have that sincere faith. Number three, perfectors. We're in this perfectors mass. You're the one that has to do everything right all the time. Nobody else can do it for you. God isn't someone that you can even go to because it's on you. You have to do it. You're responsible for it. You never reach out for help. You'll help other people, but you never ask for help yourself because you can handle it. If you're a perfecter, your family's got to be all together. Your marriage has to be perfect, or at least it has to appear perfect from the outside. 
that's the thing. Your, your life could be going to pieces. But you have to put on the mask to pretend that everything's okay so that nobody else finds out that it's not perfect. You're, you're unable to, to ask for help. Because what will somebody think if they find out that I'm dealing with this, uh, with I, that I struggle with this, that my marriage is not perfect? That's the perfecter. Mass number four is the pretender. It's not even a full mass. It's just pretending. How many of us live our lives in, with situations with family and friends and we're just, we're just pretending? Maybe uh, we're around the other guys and they are all talking about sports and we just don't have a clue what they're talking about, but we pretend, right? We pretend and we repeat stuff that we've, that we've heard. There's something inside of us that thinks if we don't pretend, if we don't fit in with the, all the other kids, with the, all the other people around us, then we won't be accepted. So we pretend to be like them. It can be outside of church with a group of friends or it can be in the church, right? We just pretend to be something that we're not. We pretend we raise our hands even though we don't feel like it. We don't know what we're doing. We're just going to pretend like we're like everyone else. Look at, we admire people and their faith and so we pretend that the same things are, are going on in our own lives and we try to mimic them. Paul says, drop the mask. Be sincere, Timothy. Don't be somebody who is constantly trying to pretend to be something that God never intended them to be. I read an article about Andre Agassi. How many of you know who Andre Agassi is? How many of you are just raising your hand and pretending to know who Andre Agassi is? Right? What's that? All right, good. Tennis player. Huge tennis player. I love Andre Agassi. I mean, he brought tennis to my generation and made it really mainstream. He, he came out on the court. He had this huge personality. Um, it was great. Canon actually started using him to market their, their Rebel camera. Do you remember that Rebel camera that they had? Because Andre Agassi was a, a Rebel. He would wear the non-appropriate things to court and and. and try to show off and everything like that. that. That was his brand. And do you remember what, what the phrase was? Image is everything. Image is everything. And if you know Andre or you know about him or as much as you can know from watching him on TV, one of the staples about him is he had this long, beautiful hair, right? This long, long hair, and he would play, and it was like a tiger's mane, and it was just everywhere, and he was just really known for it. Here's what I learned, though. Andre was actually going bald, and he would put on a wig to try and hide it. Why? Because image is everything. Image was everything to him. So much so that there was a time when he could actually feel his wig start to move while he was playing, and he actually lost the game on purpose faster so that nobody would figure that out and find that out and see that. He lost the game on purpose because image was everything. He said that that wig cost him the French Open one year because he was so scared that it would just 
fall off. That's a pretender. Pretenders don't want to allow themselves to be fully seen and know, and that is no place for anyone in this church. To be seen and fully known, we have to understand our identity in Christ and how he sees us. And when we do that, I might preach on that sometime soon, but that gives us the confidence to, to live, to really live, to really live an authentic life with an authentic faith, one that doesn't have to pretend. Do you wear any of these masks? Like I said, I think I've, I've worn them all. And the crazy part is that we feel that we need to wear them in this building in this, with this church family, the one place that we shouldn't ever, ever feel a need to wear a mask. And yet, church is sometimes the place that we wear the mask the most. We can't. We've got to let it down. The church is a place full of grace, mercy, and peace, right? That's how it started out. Grace, mercy, and peace. You can be yourself. You can be your broken self, right? You can be a divorced person. You can be a person struggling right now in your marriage. You can be a, a person struggling with an addiction. And this is a family who will stand by you. A family that will lift you up in their prayers, who will put our arms around you. But you got to drop the mask. We have to drop the mask with people. You might not be able to stand up here in front of everybody and let everybody, everybody know what's going on in your life but you have to have some people that you can do that with. Paul calls out a sincere faith. He points it out. Be sincere. Don't be the hypocrite, right? Because he knows that in our weaknesses, Christ is glorified. It's in our failures where grace and mercy shines. Why? Because in those things, those are the things that point people to the greatness of God. I didn't have to be great for God to love me, right? I was a sinner when God loved me. I didn't have to be perfect to earn God's approval. I don't have to earn salvation. It's free. It's unmerited. Why then do we feel like we have to put on the mask? Let's be challenged to have an authentic, an authentic faith. That's the only faith that gives glory to God. You are made for more. Be authentic. Paul goes on in 2 Timothy 1.6, For this reason I remind you to fan into flames the spiritual gift God gave you when I laid my hands on you. If you've ever built a fire, if you ever know that you needed to get some kind of fire really going in order to keep warm or to cook something, unless you fan those flames, right, unless you can get oxygen to those flames, it's not going to get going. If you just stand there and look at it, right, it's just going to die out. Sometimes you have to wave a, wave a fan. Sometimes you have to squeeze the bellows. you got to get the air moving. And so Paul is saying, hey, I'm proud of you for your sincerity, but being sincere is not going to be enough. I need you to rekindle the fire. I need you to have an active faith that fans the flame. 
It's your responsibility. I can't do it for you. Timothy, it's on you. Do you know what a spiritual gift is? It's not a natural talent that you have. It's a special God-given talent that goes beyond your abilities, that works to help the church build the kingdom of God. When you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you're giving that spiritual gift, a spiritual gift, maybe more than one spiritual gift. We all, we all have natural talents, but these are divine gifts to serve the church and build the kingdom of God. I don't have every spiritual gift, right? None of us do. But when we come together, we bring all of our different spiritual gifts and we fan the flame when we use them and we build the kingdom of God. 1 Corinthians 12, 7 says, Now to each one is given a spiritual gift for the common good of the community. Each of us, every believer, has been given a gift. What is your spiritual gifts? What is your spiritual gift? If you really want to know what your spiritual gift is, there's a lot of good things that you can do to find that out. You can pray. You can read the Bible. You can study about them. You can take tests. Can I give you one practical thing to do, though? Jump in the pool. Jump in the pool. Jump in at something at church. Imagine yourself on, the, on a diving board, right? Jump in the water means that you just start serving somewhere. And you see if, that, if God uses you in a divine way to make a difference. Where's your spiritual gift? Start serving with a team. Now, more often than not, the first place you jumped in is probably going to feel pretty good, but oftentimes it leads you to another place, and sometimes that's part of the journey. But it'll lead you if you keep serving, if you keep in the pool. Unfortunately, when people sometimes jump in the pool and they, they realize, oh, this place that they jumped in is not the place they end up getting out of the pool and they just go to the lawn chair and they said, I tried it, it just wasn't right. If you ask a lot of people what their spiritual gifts, a lot can't tell you. Some can tell you, but then if you ask them, are you using your spiritual gift? They tell you, well, I did back in 2002. It was great, but then it just didn't quite work out and I got burnt out and I never got back in the pool. Don't make that mistake. Don't get out of the pool. Just, just move around. Move around to a different part and try something else out. Most research says that it's after several areas of serving that you find that spot that you were made for. Getting out of the pool is never an option for an authentic follower of Christ. Keep moving around. Keep trying it. See where, what God enables you to do despite yourself, right? When you find that spot, when you, it, it feels like magic. You're going to go and you're going to be like, are you kidding me? That's what I've been searching for all those years. You'll know. You'll, you'll go, you're going to experience a level of fulfillment that takes your breath away. You're going to be coming home from using your spiritual gifts and you'll just start crying because you'll know that it is all God and that there's no way that any part of what you're doing 
is from your strength. You and you'll be like, I cannot believe that God would choose someone like me to do this. You won't be able to take any credit for it because it's not a talent that you have. It's actually probably going to be an area that you have a deficit in, that you're not good in. You're going to realize, though, that God is working through you, and it's going to be amazing. Don't get out of the pool until you find that place. If you're not in the pool, check out the bulletin, right? There's some opportunities to jump in there. Talk to me. Talk to somebody else. Only a small percentage of people who go to church really find their their spiritual gifts and know what they are. Most don't take the time, don't see it, that it's important, and we miss out. We miss out on that. We studied Matthew 25. Jesus tells a parable about this foolish man that was entrusted with his talent. You remember that months and months ago? And he was given that talent to invest, right? What did the guy do? He buried it. He buried his talent, and he didn't use them. And then he digs it up, and he tries to take it back to his master. And do you remember the story? The master was furious. Furious, right? Do you remember what the the master called that person? Wicked and lazy. And he ends up throwing the guy out to a place where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. My friends, don't let that be you. Don't just be... Don't let church be something that you come to. Jump in. Find your spiritual gift. Pray about it. Seek it out. We need you. We need those spiritual gifts. We need them to build the kingdom of God. Would you stand with me? Paul's challenge to Timothy. Two challenges. Number one, have an authentic faith. Is your faith real? Are you really trusting him? Is your faith your own or is it just your parents or another person's, a spouse's? It has to be your own. Strive to make it your own. Reach out to him. Pray to him. Talk to another mentor, a a spiritual mentor in the faith in, in this building right? And we'll help you with that. Number two, if your faith is authentic, is it active? Is it being used? Are you constantly having to rely on God to step out? That's the mark of an an authentic, active faith. If you can just do everything from your own strength, from your own power, you're missing out. If you're not having to rely on God for what you're doing, Man, that's the sure sign of it. Jump in the pool. Move around. Ask God, Lord, what do you have for my life? What what do you want me to do? How do you want me to serve you? Give me an opportunity. If you pray that, he'll do that. And that's when it gets exciting. That's when it gets fun. Amen? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for today. Lord, I thank you for this church body. Lord, I know there are so many people in here that do so much. Lord, I pray that that it would be an area, though, that they're using their spiritual gifts and not just their talents. I know it's important to use those things as well. But, Father, call them deeper. 
Fan the flame, Lord. Call them to new areas, Lord. Help them to keep moving closer to you, more dependent on you. And Father, bless their ministry more and more. Father, give us all opportunities to reach people for you. Put people into our lives, into our pathways. Give us a passion for something. Lord, let us see something in the world that drives us nuts and then call us to that, Lord. Help us to be the church. Help us to be your arms and feet. Help us to lead people to you. Father, we love you and we give you all praise. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. You are dismissed.